Welcome to the Irishman, Englishman and Scotsman football podcast. Hello, good evening and welcome to another episode of the Irishman, Englishman and Scotsman football podcast. Joining me as always, the dynamic trio Kevin, how are you doing? Back in Austria, happy? Yeah, ship shape and Bristol fashion. <laughs> uh, Joe in uh, cold Brighton. Good, very, very disappointed Southampton here this week, JP. Which week? This week or the last five or six? <laughs> oh, this oh, week. Oh, mighty have fallen. <laughs> uh, Thino in Bonnie, Scotland, looking as chirpy as last week. Right, uh, cracking on again, once again, a full uh, programme of fixtures. Tuesday, Wednesday, and the game on Thursday night. We're going to start Tuesday, 7 p.m. Central European time at Bramall Lane. Sheffield United, who fought really hard um, against Man City and really gave them a game uh, against West Brom, who you know were behind and then led against Fulham back to 2-2. This is a huge game for both clubs. It's really kind of do or die. And, you know, I mean, from Sheffield United's point of view, I was really impressed, like I said, a few weeks ago against Newcastle. They were miles a better team and they really deserved to beat Man United at Old Trafford. I didn't really see, I seen the highlights of the game against Man City, but you know, they, they've made Man City work for the win and not a lot of teams can say that. West Brom showed a lot of fighting spirit after halftime, definitely to come back out from 1-0 down against Fulham and went 2-1 up, could have went 3-1 up. Fulham got a, got a fantastic goal to level it up. You know, West Brom, uh, of course, Sam Big Sam will have them fighting through all through this the whole game i think 90 minutes this time but uh i fancy sheffield united to, to come through here Finno. it is a huge game but i think it's more of a huge game for who finishes bottom rather than anything else i think they've kind of already been cast adrift and in my mind it might as well be a championship match um you know the the only thing i can really say is that i'm sure that fulham are probably hoping for a draw or a sheffield united win just so that they can try and build a buffer to to themselves between West Brom and, and themselves. But to be honest, it's not a game that I think, you know, is going to be one for the ages, put it that way. I mean, we are only halfway through the season and, you know, it's only seven or eight points there off to Brighton, I think, maybe eight or nine points, maybe 10 points. But teams have done it before. Joe? I think Sheffield United seem to have become harder to beat, haven't they, in the last few weeks, which is obviously a positive sign for them. I I watched most of the West Brom Fulham game and yeah, similar to you, I was fairly impressed that West Brom actually came out and, you know, scored a couple of goals. They seemed bang up for it. But I just think having not beaten Fulham, I can't see them going on to beat Sheffield United. I think if they'd have beaten Fulham, they'd have thought, right, you know, we're we're in this, win a couple of games, we're out of the bottom three. But I just think they're so far off and Sheffield United's playing well. So I think Sheffield United will do it. The, the only thing I'd say there is I'm not sure that the manner of that defeat actually does buoy Sheffield United all that much. You know, City had rested a couple of players. It's an annoying goal to give away. They 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 really were forced to struggle without the ball for almost all the game. I think they'll be absolutely knackered after it. And I think it's gutting to, to lose 1-0. So I think I think it's going to be actually hard for Sheffield United. And earlier on in the season, they had a few results like that as well, where they played really well but got beat and it didn't do them any good then. And I'm not sure morale-wise that's going to be a massive boost for them. Yeah, if they're going down, though, which they probably are, they'll, they'll definitely go down fighting. You know, it's not for the lack of effort. There's been so many one nils they've lost. And like I said, you know, the two games they won recently against Newcastle and against uh, Man United at Old Trafford, they really deserved it. Joe? 
Do you think that when Big Sam took the job, he'd have been expecting to bring in five, six, seven players during the January transfer window to really kind of refresh the squad? But as it's happened, it hasn't hasn't really worked out, is it? He's, I think they brought in a striker who, who came off the bench at the weekend. But I'm just wondering if he's done enough in the window to help try and keep them up. There's at least been two or three. I know that we'll probably talk about transfers as it's transfer deadline day, but you know, Maitland-Niles is supposedly coming in on loan. Um, they brought in Robert Snodgrass from West Ham, which I thought was a really astute signing. He's definitely a player that can help them, you know, win points. But yeah, I think you're probably right. I think he was probably expecting to have a, not a full squad to change, but, you know, to be able to quickly weed out who's really in for the fight and who's not, and then ship those who are not out, uh, up for a fight out the door and bring in some reinforcements. But it just doesn't seem to have worked like that. And I think probably COVID has a lot to do with that. Yeah, it just took the words out of my mouth there. I think COVID uh, has a huge amount to do with it, really, for, for Big Sam getting players in. At Snodgrass, I think, I watched them, actually. I watched the game against Fulham. It was on the BBC. A free view Premier League game on the BBC. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought he was poor. He might be past it, possibly. Um, but they will. looks like they're going to get Maitland-Niles, yeah. I just, you know, any other year, I think Sam would have, you know, had more of an impact in the... In the, in the uh, transfer window also at seven o'clock Wolves who lost to Palace against a buoyant Arsenal uh, who were goalless against Manchester United at the Emirates Arsenal probably could have sneaked it Man United could have sneaked it it wasn't a great game to be honest uh, Wolves of course like I said lost to, to Palace and they're on a bit of a, a dodgy run um, they, they didn't look great to be honest against uh against Palace and Palace weren't great either but you know this is like we said last week I think Kev said you know are we just in our heads are we thinking it's the Wolves as last season but the reality is that they're just not that good anymore you're spot on um Wolves no winning eight league games and I don't think that there are much of any chance of them taking the points here but I think if we look at Arsenal you know that nil-nil draw against Man United do we take that as a good result for Arsenal you know it's, Arsenal seem to be in this kind of weird flux state where there doesn't really seem to be much talk about them going after European places or the top four, which we would normally associate with a club like Arsenal. They seem kind of cast adrift from that top four discussion, despite only really being four points off of West Ham in, what, fifth position. So it's a bit of a weird one. I just wonder whether or not Arsenal are, you know, floating along to mediocrity and mid-table, or if they're actually going to, you know, Look at that nil-nil as a you know a line in the sand and go right. We've still got the opportunity here to get you know further up the table. I think Wolves are just in absolute freefall, aren't they? You know we were talking the last few weeks how Newcastle were in crisis. They're in absolute meltdown. They're only one point behind Wolves now. Um, I think yeah, like I said, they've what they, what they one win in ten, haven't won in eight. You wonder if they're just you know looking over their shoulders a little bit and whether that could, you know whether. Nuno Espirito Santo could be the next boss to leave a Premier League club. Yeah, I, I watched a fair bit of Wolves and Palace earlier as well, and I watched the highlights as well on Match of the Day. I mean, they did—they created chances, which is so much as a positive for them. Like Newcastle on that run, we're not creating chances at all. Wolves are creating chances, and eventually one of them will go in. But, um, you know, this one could easily end up on a draw as well. I don't know what the story is with uh, Yang. Is he injured? He, was, he wasn't playing at all against uh, Man United. He wasn't playing. Ed Lacazette up front. I mean, if he comes back, I'll give them a chance to because he can just, you know, with a flick of a switch, he can win a game. I, I think they got more more than a chance. You know, I think this is this is a solid win. 
uh, for Arsenal, who are a, who are a better team at the moment. Much more confidence, I think. You know, Southampton, like you said, are in a bit of a free fall, or, or we've been taking the piss a bit, oh, Joe. But even so, four points from the two games against Southampton and, and Man United, they'll be pretty happy with that. I would have thought, and it just sort of cements them as being back in the run. And they they are missing a few players, right? I, I think they look pretty good actually, having having been really down on them, you know, a couple of weeks ago. I think fair, fair play. That's starting to look starting to look like a bit of a football team. Quarter past nine at Old Trafford, Manchester United against Southampton. Man United, like we said, just true with Arsenal. Um, I mean, they could have won it. And in this run that they've been on, a lot of times their big individual players have kind of created magic moments. A Cavani or a Pogba or a Fernandez, they just didn't do it against Arsenal. Cavani had a super chance at the end on the half volley uh, where he just knocked it past the post. I thought they were going to sneak it in. But like they're, they're two without a win now, having lost to um, Sheffield United in a very flat performance and like not super impressive against Arsenal. But I think they'll be happy to play against... Southampton, Joe. Southampton on a three-game losing streak. Yeah, not in a good run of form at all. Uh, three defeats in a row. And what's been annoying is we haven't showed much kind of energy. I think against Villa, we were pretty flat until the last until the last 10 minutes when we were trying to, to chase the game. There were two pretty horrific VAR calls in this match, which were hugely, hugely frustrating. The handball, I've watched it 10 times. I cannot see how that is not a penalty. His hand is in a very unnatural position. The, the offside for Ings, I know it's annoying, but that has happened to other teams this season. If your hand is kind of pointing for off, it's very frustrating, but I can kind of understand it. Um, what disappointed me, I think, afterwards is that there was a bit of frustration after the match where Ralph came out with this quote saying, you need money to buy good players and we don't have any. So I think he's starting to show a little bit of frustration. He's he, he's worked magic and worked wonders with the squad. I think he wants a few reinforcements and the board haven't given him any. Um, so I'm not really sure when we're going to next win a game, to be honest. <laughs> well, the good news, Joe, is you've got Newcastle after Man United. So uh, <laughs> away. Uh, which brings me on to Newcastle. And also at quarter past nine Central European time, now, what a turnaround in, in one game, possibly. And I'm first going to speak about hope. Of course, Finno last week said uh, the hope that kills me. And I probably would agree. But after the Leeds performance in the second half, even though we lost, I still said there was a glimmer of hope, a glimmer, you know. And the last thing that Jermaine Jenna said on, on Match of the Day about Newcastle was after this game, he said they now have something to hope for. And that's, I think, in 90 minutes. It's given them something to hope for. Um, but there's, there's a reason behind this, and I'll just go into it quickly. Newcastle beat Everton quite comfortably and were easily the better team throughout 90 minutes of this game, which nobody seen coming. Nobody, not me, nobody seen coming. I thought we were going to maybe fight a little bit after the Leeds performance and hopefully get something against Palace. Newcastle had a real structured game plan. And I've been really critical of them for the last few weeks about how we're the most uncoached team. This looked like a coached team. Um, the game plan at the start was to kick the absolute bollocks out of James Rodriguez. They kicked him up and down the park. Two players got uh, a yellow card for it, you know. Uh, but it put him out of the game. It was high press, high press, high press. Um, Miguel Amaral is, is playing up front almost with Callum Wilson. There's balls down the channel, low balls. None of this kind of long ball up to Joe Linton or Matt Ritchie. It's balls down the channel and then Callum Wilson, who's... He was Shearer-esque in this game. 
with his pace and his power. I haven't seen it. I'm not, he, I'll never compare him to the King Alan Shearer, but, you know, I mean, the way he bullied uh, the Everton center house and the defense. And is, I think it's Luca Digne, Digne on the left, left, back, uh, left back for Everton. He just he couldn't, couldn't handle him at all. Um, Jordan Pickford, who we spoke about last week, made a hash of the second goal because Newcastle were on the break and he came out to, to meet Callum Wilson but didn't commit. And once you change your mind, you know, it was gone. Saying that Wilson could have scored a hat-trick, hit the bar, hit the post, he missed the sitter. And then I just want to go on to Callum Wilson's comments at the end of the game. He, he said, we don't want to play like that every week, defensive. We want to go and attack. We don't want to sit back. What if he was having a go uh, at Steve Bruce or not? I don't know. Now, I said last week that Graham Jones came in. Graham Jones was former Luton coach. He was at Bournemouth. He's a Geordie. He was um, Roberto Martinez's number two at Belgium, that great Belgium team. But if you watch the game, and I watched the highlights again, and at the end of the game, and some of the pictures after, because when your team wins, it doesn't happen in Newcastle a lot. I tend to watch match of the day after. I want to watch <laughs> it, you know. But Graham Jones is the one that's animated on the sideline. He's out giving hand signals. He's shouting at the players. And at the end of the game, he's got his arm around Colin Wilson. I have, that's the best performance of the season. It was a complete, you, you know, a united performance. Um, and all of a sudden, we look like a really coached team for the last game and a half. But for the last game and a half, we've had a new coach in. So if you don't know the story here and you're looking at that sideline, Graeme Jones is the manager and Steve Bruce is the assistant. Yeah, I'm going to throw out a bit of a conspiracy theory here and say that Graeme Jones is probably actually Newcastle's manager and Ashley just can't afford to sack Steve Bruce. Exactly, because, I mean, you're looking at about two million. If he's to pay off Steve Bruce, about two million. So it's a lot cheaper to bring in a guy that will work under him who has experience with Ryan Fraser and Callum Wilson at Bournemouth. And, you know, eventually, say he goes at the end of the season, Graeme Jones wasn't the next Sunderland coach. Steve Bruce was. Newcastle fans will take him. Look, you're never going to win over the fans completely because of Mike Ashley still there. But this guy, I mean, I don't... Look, all I can see, the proof is in the pudding. The last game and a half, I've never seen them play so much attacking football since the days of Bobby Robson in one game. Saying that, they're still in a horrible position and there's a long way to go and it's a dogfight and it's Palace next at home. And, you know, you try and get through that and look at Southampton. Those at the minute are two winnable games based on the performance. But, you know, I think Newcastle and the coaching crew have got to take it one day at a time. If you look at that Everton game, you know, the tactical things we can get onto, you know, Everton being spooked by a really high press from Newcastle. And as you mentioned, they did kick James Rodriguez up and down the park. And all it would have taken is one slightly too harsh a kick and that plan falls into tatters. As Martin Keown said um, during, the, during the game at the weekend, it is only one game. They do need to start putting a chain of results together. But there is that kind of glimmer of hope. Palace are so hot and cold this season. I wouldn't be surprised to see Newcastle pick three points up here, but you just don't know. I think we know exactly what Palace are going to do. They're going to go up there, they're going to have 10 men behind the ball and they're going to play on the break with Zahar and Eze, who scored a wonderful goal at the weekend. It was fantastic. So I know Newcastle are playing well, but I can just see a you know 1-0 Palace sneaky win. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, on the basis of the last 10 games, if Palace didn't watch the Everton game, that they would sit back, Joe. They go and attack like Leeds did, you know, because Newcastle were so negative and sitting back and inviting them on. But now Newcastle are going for this high press. Um, Maybe Palace will do that. Um, 
You know, I mean, there's a possibility that there's a couple of players coming in here. Who knows? But there's a confidence. And there was a real belief and they're fighting for each other. And like there was a lot more to it, uh, Fino, than just kicking Hamas Rodriguez. I mean, they were so organised, as in Isaac Hayden was sat in front and protected the back four. The balls went down the channel. I think he's finally found a position for Miguel Almiron. You know, he's this guy that was floating around. Now he, he's up there and his work rate, all the, the work rate was, was out of this world. The energy level, it was like they're all on steroids. But again, they are in the position where they're in. So this is a, is a, is a huge game. Um, I'm going to stick my neck out here and I actually think we're going to sneak it. I'll go for 2-1. Only, only, thing, only thing I'd say uh, is will the effort be a bit too much for them? Because like you say, worked, worked absolutely their asses off. Looked like they had a couple of red balls before before they played the game. Maybe I think maybe this, you know, it's hard, it's hard to do it twice in a row is all. And I think it's going to be a punishing game against Palace again as well. So uh, no real prediction. I'll be interested to see, but but it's hard to, to put in two performances like that on the spin in a short space of time. So it'll be a really good test for them. And they have been hit by injury and illness, haven't they? So let, let, let's see let's see what the fitness levels of the squad are like. Good test. Sponsored by Red Bull, Kev? <laughs> could, could be, yeah, could be a yeah, good I idea. Mean, on the other hand, Newcastle have... Um, a lot of the players are back now. I mean, Lascelles is out with a hamstring, but Kieran Clark is back. Hendrick played out of his skin. Um, it looks like... Matt Ritchie might be staying, you know, and uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of positives to take from the game. I'm not buying into it too much. I'm not going to, you know, be the boy who cried wolf. And there's a lot of work to be done, but it's, it's a good base. And if we were playing somebody higher up the table or in better form, you know, I, I wouldn't go for Newcastle, but I think Palace could be there for the taking. Newcastle did beat Palace away from home earlier on in the season. They are hot and cold. So, I mean, who knows? If you can keep Eze, Eze or Eze and Will Saha quiet, then... I give them every chance. So moving on to Wednesday, uh, two seven p.m. kickoffs. The first one at Turf Moor, Burnley against Manchester City. Uh, Man City did the win against Sheffield United last week. I called them delicious, but this was, you know, gritty. Get the job done, and it, you know it was the kind of the mark of champions when you're not firing on all cylinders like Liverpool last season to grind out and find that ugly one nil win. Um, you know, Burnley, Burnley have improved a lot in the last few weeks, I have to say. They really have. And uh, I just I just don't give them much chance, or anybody much chance against uh, Man City. Finno. No, look, and, and Man City have struggled against Sheffield United both times this season. I remember um, the reverse fixture earlier on in the season. I think it took like a, a really strong goal from Kyle Walker to win 1-0. Burnley, they had chances against Chelsea um, until Chris Wood came off. And then it was kind of game over for them. Um, look, Burnley will make it tough. They always do. But City are firing on all cylinders. I know that we say that they, they didn't do so well against Sheffield United. But I just can't see passing away win. And I feel like we're not giving Man City enough kudos or discussing them in more detail. But such is the way that the league's gone. There's just simply more you know interesting storylines and more interesting fixtures than City probably winning again. I mean, it's not just that. Can you even remember the last time they conceded a goal? Honestly, I can't. I think it's a month. I think it must be a, it must be at least a month since they conceded a goal. But I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm a great believer in in you know streaks coming to an end. That's all. Uh, I doubt they will win. And you know, I've, I've, you know slightly tongue in cheek, I've said they're going to win every single game until the end of the season. I think they'll have won the league. They won't do that because they'll have won the league with about five games to go, I'm sure. But I think if they are going to drop points, this this is the sort of game where I wouldn't be that surprised 
uh, don't think they'll lose. Think, who knows? Maybe it could be. Maybe it could be a nil-nil. Maybe it could be one of those awkward wins. So get get your money on a six-nil. But no, nil-nil for me this one. Wow. Uh, Fulham against Leicester also at seven p.m. Uh, Fulham two, West Brom two, and Leicester beaten by Leeds. No one really seen that. I knew it was going to be a good game, but I think for, for Leeds to win so convincingly in the end, I didn't see all the game. The game. Um, Finno, and I'm sure Brendan Rodgers will have them up for this one, you know, after after the performance. You said Leicester were very poor. Yeah, they were. I just felt that Leicester approached the game pretty arrogantly, I think. Um, and Leeds, you know, came to play. They were, I think, probably the dominant team. I think at, at halftime, Rodgers decided to move around the defensive structure. I think he moved from, I can't remember if it was a 3-4 to a four or 4-5 four to a five or something like that. He brought on another centre-back. And lo and behold, the centre-back that they brought on was the guy that played Bamford onside for his admittedly stunning goal. This game, you know, Fulham need to just change draws into wins. Um, unfortunately, the longer that it goes on, the less likely I see them getting out of the out of the relegation zone. I'd expect Leicester to win comfortably here, especially with their phenomenal away form. I don't think Vardy is back, though. And Leeds um, were very touch-tight on Madison. Madison, what I've seen in, in the highlights, didn't have much um, much time on the ball at all. And of course, Vardy gives you the outlet with his pace and the ball's down the channel. So I think he'll still be missing, which, give, which will give Fulham a chance. But yeah, the likes of Tielemans and co, uh, Fulham don't have the firepower or, or the speed at the break that leads to. So I can only see this one going uh, Leicester's way. Joe? Yeah, I agree. I think um, I think Brendan Rodgers would have hated it at the weekend, being being outdone by Bielsa, I think it would have really, really hurt his ego. So I think he'll have Leicester properly, properly fired up. Um, Fulham, yeah, they'll be really disappointed not to be in West Brom. um, But you'd think Leicester would have too much for them. Half past seven, or half past eight, should I say, Central European time, half past seven in the UK, Leeds at Allen Road, a home to Everton. Leeds flying at the minute, lads. And, you know, if you want to upset Everton, We've got to do the high press as a Newcastle. That is one team. If there is one team that's going to do it, it's going to be Leeds. I give Leeds every chance in this game. Everton had a full team out against Newcastle with the exception of Alan. You know, Calvert-Lewin played and Richardson played, uh, James Rodriguez. Um, but Newcastle made them uncomfortable and Leeds make every team uncomfortable with their kind of do-or-die attitude. I actually fancy Leeds to, 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 to beat Everton here. Uh, Kev? Yeah, I think so too. Actually, yeah, I think I think that might be a tough one for Everton to come to you know to come back from. Um, listen, the only thing I'd say it's hard to predict these games. Like, don't I don't want to come you know come across like a manager or something like that. But it really is hard right now, right? Really hard playing back-to-back games. Um, not every team is used to playing them. Um, these two teams, you know, maybe not particularly used to playing back-to-back like this. I think it's I just think it's hard. It's freezing cold, right? Um, everyone's got injuries. Everyone looks. I, you know, I don't know where they're bringing these performances from. Sometimes, I mean, I look at players. Some of these players, you know, back, you know, back-to-back games in their thirties, maybe. It's really hard work. So I, ju- I just say it's gonna be tough for Everton, and so I, I, I think you're right, but just really hard to predict. I think this is kind of low-key the game of the week. Um, you know, as you've mentioned, JP, that kind of high press from from Bielsa will potentially do exactly what Newcastle did to, to Everton and, and spook them. The only thing I would say with Everton is that, you know, Dina came back from injury considerably ahead of schedule. I think he was only out for six weeks. He was supposed to be out for 12. And I think you could see that at the weekend with how wasteful he was 
going forward. He was putting balls in the box that kind of were basically aimless. But yeah, if I was Leeds, I'd be really excited about welcoming an Everton team that, yeah, look a bit lacklustre at the moment. The defensive side of Dignado uh, surprised me. Because, uh, you know, he has a huge reputation this season, but I was bullied by Callum Wilson uh, for pace, for power, like the whole Everton defence. I mean, but, you know, I, I expected him to... Um, I knew he was good going forward, but I expected a lot more defensively. Saying that, like you said, he's just coming back. But, uh, yeah, I, I'd fancy Leeds. Um, tasty game, quarter past nine. Aston Villa, who were on a little bit of run of form themselves against West Ham. Now, Fino, I've only seen West Ham once this season. And that was when Newcastle beat them beat them on the opening day. Um, I expected a lot more against Liverpool, I have to say. I was disappointed in how they, you know, didn't really get on the ball. Liverpool dominated. And if you've seen the text from Kev, it was, you'd think that there was crisis in Liverpool. But, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I thought Salah's two goals particularly the second one, where no team would have stopped them, you know what I mean? So I think West Ham probably need to bounce back. Villa, we spoke about this a few weeks ago, and we were talking about the games in hand, and I said, this is a team that I don't think it will affect because they rested all their players. If you remember, they played the FA Cup game against Liverpool with the under-17 team out. So the whole squad was rested. I know they lost to Burnley. They convincingly beat Newcastle. They beat Southampton, albeit lucky enough, um, with that Danny Ings goal at the end. But yeah, this will be a tough one for West Ham for now. I mean, I'm never surprised with a West Ham result, whether we win, lose or draw. I think it can probably be best described as West Ham having a bit of a nosebleed, you know, being so high up the table. And I think we saw that with David Moyes. We were pretty negative, I felt. Um, and I think Trevor Sinclair said it best. West Ham played the champions at the weekend. They didn't play the players, the 11 players that were on the pitch for Liverpool. Um, they... They played the aura of Liverpool rather than the actual team that was there because they were there for the taking, in my opinion. Look, Salah scored one good goal. I still feel like Cresswell was a little too lazy in getting out to him and allowing him to shift it onto his left foot. The second goal, yeah, is a touch of class. West Ham, you know, they need to get over this kind of naivety if they're going to be, you know, continuing to fight for Europe. That being said, you know, it shows how far a team like West Ham have come that a loss against the champions feels like a missed opportunity. Got the opportunity to dust themselves down against Villa, who will be strong and will be tough. They're still riding high, despite, you know, Joe's already talked about them, you know, consistently tight VAR decisions. Um, it's also a huge game with implications for Europe. So West Ham could go six clear of Villa with them having two games in hand. Um, and then the teams all around us, you know, that top... 10 basically are really tight at the moment and so if West Ham do harbour any ambitions of, of European football they kind of need to go out and, and put the Liverpool game into the back of their minds and just you know go out there and get three points but I don't know if I expect that. Yeah Villa are a real threat uh, with Ollie Watkins, Creelish, and I can't remember the guy's name on the left wing with the dreadlocks but um, he's lethal and, and you know I think that they will. I think Villa, Villa will finish in the top five or six the way they're going. You know, they spent 200 million quid and it's working and they're hard to beat and, you know, they're, they're really good on the break. So, yeah, I fancy Villa to, to sneak this one, Fino. Sorry. Um, also, a quarter past nine, Kev, Liverpool against Brighton. Liverpool are back. We're not hearing any more crisis. <laughs> we don't want to hear any more defensive crap. You know what I mean? They've got these world-class players. 
Uh, well, I wanted to say, though, I mean, the second goal from Salah was absolute world class. And the first goal was a brilliant goal. But how many times has Salah scored from the same position? It, it, you, from that right-hand side of the penalty area, he dips the right shoulder, shoulder, dinks in, left foot into the top corner. It's kind of like Ian Robin back in the day. You knew exactly what he was going to do, but he just don't seem to stop him. I mean, as soon as Salah I, did that, it was like he's going to go for the top corner. From a defender's point of view, try and you know, shift him onto his right foot maybe. I mean, I know he's, he's a lethal forward, but uh, yeah, that, that's my only complaint about it. I mean, Liverpool deserved to win. They were back to their best. Two huge wins now over Spurs and West Ham. Surely uh, you're going to beat Brighton, Kev. I, uh, yeah, I guess. Um, I, think, I think what I'd say is what, two, two things. First of all, it looked fun again, didn't it? So probably not, it's been a, probably not if you're a West Ham fan. But second half, right, it looked like the players were enjoying themselves. And that hasn't happened for a while. And I thought it was really interesting that Klopp stood up and said it was my fault against Burnley. Right? He said, like, I just messed that up. And it's, you can't blame the players for that. Um, second thing, we talk a lot about winning ugly. And you've, you've picked on, uh, up on that as well. Last two seasons, it's not just been about winning ugly. Right? That's, the, that's, that's all, or finally away, as we've said. What Liverpool have done in the last two seasons is they've been patient enough to work out the opposition. And then with the help of that analysis team that they clearly have, now, and I, I don't have any inside stories, inside secrets about their, their analysis team, but they're clearly really good, right? So Liverpool at their best. One of the great things they do, they went through a phase last season and the season before of scoring a million goals immediately after half time. It was incredible. And I think they've got a video analysis team, which is, let's just say, as good as anyone else anyway. And I think a combination of the players being able to work it out on the pitch and then getting some really good technical backup, particularly at halftime, but actually during little breaks in the game as well, meant that they've scored a lot just after halftime or scored like just in after there have been little breaks in play and they've got like little tips from the sidelines and stuff like that. So I think they've got their mojo back a little bit in that sense. So, it's, so I don't think it's just about confidence. I think, I think it's that. And I think, I think we're looking at a really, really good football team. I think there's an, an element of the media and the fans being, you know, having the wool pulled over their eyes a little bit with the centre-back issue. You know, yes, there's been 12 centre-back pairings in 21 games for Liverpool. But actually, that was still a very strong front line, um, albeit not your first, uh, your first string front line. You still had Thiago, you still had Gini Wijnaldum. And you saw with that breakaway goal that you still have world-class players like Shakiri, who's probably a second or third string player for Liverpool. Um, can Brighton do it twice in a row? Probably not. But I do hope that they stay up, um, not least because they play some good football, but also that they've given Scottish football two absolute heroes First of all, they've given Connor Goldson, who's been ever-present for Rangers. He's played, I think, 98 out of the last 100 games for Steven Gerrard after having quite a serious heart um, operation. And then they've also given Scottish football Shane Duffy, who has been arguably one of the consistently worst players I have ever seen play football in Scotland. So I think, you know, from a, a Rangers fan, I would like to see Brighton uh, stay up just purely for that. That's quite funny. Obviously, Duffy was the centre-back partner for, for for the captain, Lewis Dunk, for many years. And he has been outstanding. For the last three games, they've kept three uh, clean sheets, Brighton. No one expected them to go to Leeds and win. They did. No one expected them to beat Tottenham. They did. I don't think I don't think Liverpool will have it all their own way in this one. I think I think Brighton will make it very, very difficult for them. Um, so I think it will be an interesting game, actually. I'm just, I'm just going to say one more thing about that goal. 
that 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 goal from Salah, that breakaway goal, the second goal was so good, you'd need a poet to describe how good it was, wouldn't you? <laughs> so if, if only we had one. Uh, indeed, it was very poetic. No, absolutely, I've got to say, it could be the goal of the season, Kev. It really could, because he just took it out of the sky and, you know, instant control. And the other foot, so calm, just knocked it past the goalkeeper. Uh, good point there, Finno, about uh, Liverpool. And, you know, don't buy into it. Don't listen to any of the, the morning, really. Like, because they got these, they won the Premier League last season, the Champions League. They Like I said, I always go back to it. I don't even include Shakiri. You've got the main three of, you know, Salah, uh, Mane, Firmino. Then you've got Diego Xhota, who's world-class as well. Of course, Belgium are one of the best teams in the world, Divock Origi, and you've got Shakiri as well. So, you know, all over the park, Wijnaldum, Thiago Alicantra, world-class Sp- Spanish player, by Munich last season. You know, give me a break, really. Just come on. It's You know, there's more than enough there to, to win a game. So, yeah, Liverpool will, will beat Brighton quite convincingly. Um, but Brighton, Joe... I think that the mood's got to be good in Brighton now. I mean, obviously those couple of wins, Tottenham was a huge win. They've really got it to think, believe now that they're they're going to stay up. Yeah, definitely. They've got a fairly big gap now to the bottom three. Uh, obviously, they had this kind of monkey on their back for ages that they hadn't won a game at home all season. They've now broken that duct with a, with the win against Tottenham. I think they'll go to Liverpool with no fear. It's a complete free hit. So, yeah, let's just see what happens. Yeah, let's just see. Um, you know, I don't think they'll really care off, you know, what uh, happens in Scottish football. Uh, oh, but I Brighton, do. to be honest. You do, all right. Uh, one game on Thursday, Tottenham against Chelsea. Of course, Spurs, like we just said, beaten by um, beaten by Brighton. And Chelsea, new coach, got the win, 2-0 against Burnley. Not super, you know, I mean, when, when a new coach comes in, players are, are keen to impress. And we know that it's a short-term thing at Chelsea always. I think Tuchel's on an 18-month contract or something like that. But, you know, I just think momentum is a big thing as well. And, uh, yeah, I know it's Mourinho against his old team, but Spurs are kind of flat at the minute. I think Bale might be out, might be injured. Kane, you kind of fancy Chelsea to, to kind of do this. Yeah, I think 100%. You know, we asked the question last week, how will Spurs get on without Bale? And I think, I think it was there for all to see, wasn't it, against Brighton? Uh, not very well. It all seems a little bit predictable, this kind of Spurs slump at the moment. You, you, you've got Mourinho post-match ranting about his defence and coming out with some very odd comments. We've seen this all before, haven't we? Whether at Chelsea or Man United. Um you just wonder where it's all going to end up. Can they get out of this slump? I agree with you, JP. I think Chelsea, that they're, they're going to find some form. I found it interesting that they went back to having Mount, Abraham and Hudson-Odoi in the team. Three of the players who were very good for Lampard last season, but who um, specifically Hudson-Odoi and Abraham weren't playing a huge amount this year. He brought those back in. They got the win. Um, and I think they'll, they'll uh, beat Tottenham. To be honest, I think that this could easily be the worst quote-unquote big game that we've seen so far this season. You know, I watched Chelsea Burnley and I get it. Tuchel, you know, German pragmatism, but I just didn't feel like there was any real spark. And okay, yes, they're playing Burnley, but, you know, they brought in Marcus Alonso, who I had no idea had fallen out quite severely with Lampard. And you've got Ben Chilwell there, there sitting on the bench. I still feel like Chelsea are trying to shoehorn Havertz and Werner into this team and give them the game time to acclimatise when actually what they need to be doing is just winning at all costs. And yes, they got the result um, against Burnley. I don't know whether or not they'll get the result against Tottenham. 
Tottenham will be properly up for this. Mourinho will be properly up for this. But to be honest, I reckon it could be like a boring 1-1 draw. I think, I think what's going to happen is Chelsea are going to get 107% possession in this game <laughs> and it'll end up somehow nil-nil. I think, yeah, I think I'm, with, I'm with you for that. It'll be a dreadful game. Was it not also the reverse fixture this game where it was also like an incredibly boring nil-nil draw and we were all kind of clamouring over Mourinho saying that he was, you know, a tactical mastermind because they'd had, you know, zero expected goals or something like that. Yeah, I think that this is going to be a very dour affair. What's happened to Tottenham? I mean, two wins in six. You know, before Christmas, I mean, if you know you yourself, had them as champions-elect and, and Kane and Song could do no wrong. Chelsea, as we know, have been dodgy for the last few months and obviously got Lampard sacked. But Spurs, I mean, saying that, though, I think Kev brought us up a few weeks ago as well. Like Spurs, you know, a few wins away from the top four. That's how, how the league, you know, is. It's, it's crazy this season. But, uh, you know, I mean, you've got the quality there and you've got Gareth Bale. You know, has Gareth Bale lost it, really? I know he's injured, but when you, think, when you look at the forward line they have, I know he's a very negative manager in how he sets up, but I, I expected Tottenham to be a lot better than they are coming into February. Fino? We've not seen as many sackings this season as you would normally expect to see. Um, especially at this stage um, in the Premier League campaign. And I think it's actually because, you know, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there, JP, that most teams are only two or three games away from, you know, shooting up, up the table. And, you know, Mourinho, yes, he's kind of banded about as being a negative manager. I think probably Tottenham were a bit of a victim of their own success at the very beginning of the season because they were so lethal going forward. You know, I think they were scoring near enough every time that they went forward. And Kane and Son were so in sync that, you know, they just couldn't, they couldn't miss. And now when things get a little bit tougher, you know, the, the weather's not so good. So maybe the pitches aren't, you know, as nice to play on. They're not quite the carpeted, uh, they're not carpeted. And so, you know, the ball's maybe taking a different bounce. And it all starts to become maybe a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy that, you know, the media are against them or, you know, the, the VAR's against them or the bounce of the ball's gone differently. And because of Mourinho's kind of very deflectionary press persona, um, you know, maybe he's starting to, you know, say different things internally than he's saying externally and some of the players aren't reacting to it. Yeah, I mean, also, if, if they, if Spurs fall down the table, you know, and if they finish, say, let's say, eighth or ninth, and, I mean, they're in the cup final, they could beat Man City, but I don't see it happening either. But if they, if they, they don't, they lose to Man City, and if they finish 8th or ninth, like I said, the money that they've spent on Bale's wages, they got the Brazilian boy in, you know, would the, would the board look at saying to Jose, look at, because Spurs for me were always, when I was growing up, an entertaining team. They had Gaza, then they had, later on they had Klinsman, Gisera, you know what I mean? The, the kind of six, stri- six players up front, more or less, and they were always good to watch. But just now they're just horrible. Probably not since the early 70s, late 60s maybe, have they been really successful domestically. Their last title was, you know, 2008 and it was the League Cup. So should they be anything else other than, you know, an eighth or a ninth in the table kind of team? Um, I think what was quite interesting, I was listening to TalkSport the other day and uh, they had a Tottenham fan phone in and say that they should sack Mourinho and bring in Lampard. 
which I think would be a very interesting, you know, dynamic come Mourinho's inevitable return to the Premier League at some point. We mustn't forget they got to the Champions League final a couple of seasons ago and they're constantly in and around the top four. So, yeah, I think they should be pushing on. And the money they spend, um, they should be. They should be pushing on. But yeah, I, I think there's a possibility there that Mourinho could be gone before the next season starts if things keep going the way they're going. But this is a crazy season. Who knows what's going to happen? It also, it is transfer deadline day. Um, so we've got to talk about transfers. We do have a special guest on. Uh, he'll be coming up pretty soon. But to be honest, lads, it's got to be the most low-key transfer deadline day in, in a long, long time. And, you know, COVID's got a lot to do with that. Um, there are no big moves. I think, Kev, Liverpool might be one of the busiest teams. If Liverpool get all those defenders in, what are you going to moan about then? <laughs> I'll find something. Don't worry. Yeah, I think they're juggling a few options. They'll probably end up... I remember like a transfer deadline day about 20 years ago where we ended up with two goalkeepers. <laughs> we, we, we made a mess of it. Um, yeah, so probably something like that. We'll probably end up with about 13 centre-backs as of next week and then suddenly everyone will be fit. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's COVID. Like, there's not much, not as much money schloss, schlossing around at the moment. It wouldn't be transfer deadline day without the man in the yellow shirt. Earlier on today, I caught up with Jim White. Hello, my name is Jim White and welcome to Deadline Day. The clock is ticking. I'm like a kid on Christmas Eve, mainly because I'm annoyingly overexcited and willing to partake in stories that have no truth at all. I can tell you that Liverpool are racing to sign Schalke defender Ozan Kabak for around £2.5 million, but they're in a race against time because the German transfer window closes at 4pm. It looks like the club, however, will sign Preston centre-back Ben Davies ahead of the 11pm transfer deadline time, and that, that fee is believed to be around £500,000. Breaking news from Tottenham. Apparently, Harry Redknapp was seen uh, slowing down his car and wound his window down, uh, but we're just hearing right now that he was actually at a McDonald's drive through Newcastle have blocked Matt Ritchie's move to Bournemouth and won't allow Matt Longstaff to go to Watford. Steve Bruce, however, said he hopes to get one or two players in before that deadline closes. More breaking news, and this could be absolutely massive. I'm just hearing in my ear right now that there's a black car has arrived outside Anfield and it could be Kylian Mbappe. I don't believe it. It's actually Peter Odenwingy. Back to you in the studio, JP. It looks like Newcastle are going to sign Joe Willock on loan uh, from Arsenal. I asked Manfred about him earlier on and he said, you know, 21 potential. He can light a game up and then he has the potential to, to go missing as well. Uh, but Newcastle do need a midfielder. Another possibility is uh, Chowdhury from Leicester, but that depends on Leicester getting a player in. And if Newcastle can get uh, a player out, in midfield, I think Matt Longstaff might be off to Watford. Who knows? Matt Ritchie to Bournemouth. Looks like it's been called off. Newcastle want to keep hold of him, even though Bruce hasn't played him in a while. Uh, and if he does go, although Bruce said he's open to him going, I think it'll it'll signal a change in the style of football and the intent. And that might have a lot to do with, with Graham Jones because Matt Ritchie is a guy who can get the ball in the box. If you're going to play these big strikers and long ball, he's the man. But... Uh, Hopefully this high press, you know, that we won't need him. Maitland-Niles is a cracking player at Arsenal. Arsenal don't want to sell him to a direct rival in Leicester. Uh, why is he not going to Southampton, Joe? 
Well, apparently Southampton were in for him on loan. We're a bit short of fullbacks. So I think they wanted Maitland-Niles to come in and play either right, right back or left back. But uh, Maitland-Niles sees himself as a midfielder. He wasn't going to play in midfield at Southampton. So he said no to come in. It's quite interesting because clearly Arsenal don't view him as a fullback either. If the rumours are to be believed that they're looking for cover for Kieran Tierney, um, apparently they're potentially in for Patrick Van Aanholt. They clearly either don't trust Maitland-Niles at fullback or they see him elsewhere. From a West Ham perspective, I think we're a bit gutted that Josh King didn't arrive from Bournemouth. It looked as if he was potentially going to be there earlier on in the window. We brought in Jesse Lingard. God knows what that's going to look like um, in Moyes' system. But I think the biggest transfer for West Ham is that they kept Declan Rice. And it looks like now with Lampard gone, they'll keep him for the foreseeable. Yeah, Josh King actually, Joel, right earlier on, might be a possibility for Southampton, but maybe Shane Long going the other way. Um, just going back, Finn, I'll go into that in a second, Joe. You said, was it Arsenal were in for Van Anholt? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, you know, that would only be his cover. And I mean, he's a, he's played a few times for Holland. And if he goes to Arsenal, surely he wouldn't be ahead of, of Tierney. Well, no, but I mean, I think if you, if you spoke to any non-Celtic fan in Scotland, you would realise that Tierney can be quite brittle. And I think we've seen that already um, at Arsenal. You know, he seems to be quite injury prone. So they said, yeah, either Van Anholt or even Ryan Bertrand as well. Um, so they're clearly looking for somebody that can, you know, play in the similar mould as Tierney, you know, that kind of marauding left back, um, but on, you know, considerably lower wages, you would expect. Yeah, I haven't seen much of him this season, but the games I did against Newcastle in the Cup and the league game when he came back from injury and he was, you know, probably the best player on, on the pitch for Arsenal on the left side, like the balls into the box and he beats players with ease. He's, uh, you know, I, I doubt there's much between him and Robertson. I mean, Scotland seems to have, uh, you know, two two really good left backs there. There's no one else that, that really sticks out. There's no big transfers, I think. Or, or, you know, if you look at the top teams, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came out and said, don't stay up late. We're not expecting anybody. Um, that about wraps it is for, oh, almost wraps it up for us folks. There are games coming up, of course, on the weekend. Uh, but as always, before we go anywhere, uh, we couldn't leave you without our poetic genius, Kev. Very kind. It's been a while since I had a rant about VAR, so I've, I've saved it to the end. Short and sweet this week. Say what you like about this strange campaign, but it keeps dropping diamonds again and again. This week we had Liverpool back from the dead with a goal from Salah that's still stuck in my head. Newcastle reborn, Callum Wilson's brace. And yeah, it's a shame this year's title race is already decided. A deal that is done as City playing host to the Blades again won. Most of their rivals dropped points yet again with Leicester outclassed by Bielsa's Leeds men. An early barn strike that Leeds soon had answered. The pick of the three goals, a stormer from Bamford. Crisis, what crisis, cried Klopp's fragile team to maintain the faint flicker of a league title dream. 3-1 v West Ham, attacking perfection. The second from Salah, a massive erection, ejection. So to all those who thought that their spirit was weary, as Trent won the ball, took one look, found Shakiri, who swung in a pass to set Mo Salah through the deftness of touches, and it's goal number two. But if there's drama to come, if the tension's to tighten, they must follow up with a win against Brighton, who were perfectly poised to catch them on a worse after classily winning 1-0 against Spurs. 
Oh, Jose, I must say, you need a plan B with Kane still confined to the infirmary. Could plan B be bail? Not anytime soon. There's more chance of him winning the Open at Troon. He seems out of love with the game at the moment. Where's the fire that made him such a great opponent? The coach's diagnosis, they lack self-esteem. As a fan, doesn't that make you just want to scream? How about the other big sides from the smoke? Arsenal no longer the butt of our jokes. A draw thanks to Man U's ranked profligacy. Edinson, he must score. Oh no, Cavani. That was more like it for Tuchel's Chelsea, who played with control and verticality. 2-0 v Burnley and looking much better, and even a rare goal from Afpilogueta. Regular readers of this rhyming column will know my opinion of VAR is just Sodom. It's not just the replays, the constant revisions, it's the way they back up the ref's awful decisions. Southampton fans must have felt total displeasure. Denied a spot kick, then a ludicrous measure. The armpit of Ings and Cash's backside as the Premier League takes us fans for a ride. Great stuff, Kev. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you, Finno. Cheers, guys. Thank you, Joel. Uh, also, a thank you to Jim White uh, who from Sky Sports who took time out of his busy day today uh, to chat to us earlier on. Guys, if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on the bottom right-hand side. Thank you very much. We'll be back on Friday and enjoy the games. 